Our scripture reading for today is taken from Romans chapter 6, the first four verses. And St. Paul writes by inspiration. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our Christian faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. I had just finished baptizing an eighth grade boy. We had just had a prayer. And this little private service was now complete and done. And there were maybe only seven or eight people there. And the young man got up and turned to his parents and looked at his dad and pointed at his father and said, you taught me wrong. And he was right. (laughs) His father had been a pastor in another denomination that had thought of baptism as something we do for God rather than something God does for us. In theology, we make a distinction between things that we call sacramental and things that are sacrificial. Those things that are sacrificial, sacrifices, are things that we do toward God. Prayers, offerings, praise, things like that. Sacramental describes the ways God brings his grace and gifts to us based on the work of Christ. And there are churches that teach that baptism is purely a sacrificial thing, an act that we do to demonstrate to God that we are committed to him. But that's not the way the Bible teaches it at all. The Bible teaches throughout all the passages that deal with baptism, it is a sacramental gift. It is a way that God brings to you and me the blessings that Christ won for us on the cross. And we see that reflected in our text for today as well. John the Baptist was well aware of this. In fact, if you think about it, when Jesus came to be baptized by him, John was puzzled by this because he knew baptism was sacramental, not sacrificial. If baptism was sacrificial, it would be fine for Jesus to show his commitment to God the Father. But baptism being sacramental for the forgiveness of sins really puzzled John because he knew Jesus had no sin to be forgiven. And he said to him, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But there our Lord says to him, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. God has come to send Christ into the world and even through baptism is fulfilling the holy perfect plan that it would take to get you and me to heaven. And so Jesus there united himself with the water that you and I as Christians have been baptized into. And by that we have received his wonderful, marvelous forgiveness of sins wiping away all of our guilt before God. We've been made God's dear children. Uh, he, He there touches us with his grace and claims us for his heavenly kingdom by giving us faith in Christ as our Savior. And all of those blessings, the Bible says, come to us through this gracious washing of life. 
Baptism derives its power entirely from the sacrificial death of our Lord, and we can see that in our text. Romans chapter 6 that we're reading from here today follows on the heels of about three full chapters where Paul has been expounding on what it means that we're saved by grace, that it's entirely by God's work through Christ that we have been saved, that he's rescued us from our sins. We've been justified before God. We've been declared right before God, not because of anything we've done, but purely because of the work of his son paying for all of our sins. And Paul has been just laying out passage after passage that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of this. And as Christians, we just love that grace, don't we? We love knowing that we are saved in that marvelous grace of God. But now Paul brings up a question that's so easy to rise in our minds, a tempting thought, and that is this. Well, now can I just go on sinning? so that this forgiveness, this grace of God can get bigger? Now can I, should I just go back out to a life of sin and, and just throw myself into it so that God's forgiveness can cover more and more of my sins? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul asks the question, and then he answers with a firm Greek statement, absolutely not. Don't even let the thought get started in your mind. It is tempting for us to kind of abuse God's generosity and his grace toward us. Our sinful human nature likes to get a hold of this beautiful teaching that we're saved by grace alone and and maybe take advantage of that. Martin Luther said this, it's like people thinking to themselves when they go to the hospital, let's injure ourselves and make ourselves even more sick so the medicine can do us more good. Imagine a mother telling her, 10-year-old son at bedtime, I love you, I will always forgive you no matter what you ever do, I will, ever, I will always take you back, I will always forgive you, I'll never stop loving you. And the boy says back to his mom, I love you too, mom, I really do. And the next day to test her love, he decides to take out a pair of scissors and go into her closet and shred to ribbons her entire wardrobe just to test and see how much she might really forgive him. It's tempting for us as Christians sometimes to look at our spiritual lives that way too. The devil's temptation in us is to take advantage of this wonderful grace and forgiveness that we have. And this can be an especially powerful temptation. Trust me, it goes on through your whole life, but especially in our youthful years. Someday, we can think to ourselves, someday I'm going to plan to get serious about my relationship to Christ. Someday I'm going to really start to take my religious uh, faith seriously. But for right now, I'm having a little bit too much fun. Johann Gerhard said this, Nothing is more fatal to godliness than procrastination. Don't put off living a godly life until old age but offer God the bloom of your youth. It's a great statement. There's a tribe in Africa, some of you have maybe heard me tell this before, a tribe in Africa that apparently has figured out a way to catch monkeys. <laughs> and uh, what they do is they take a gourd about the size of a baseball and they bury it about six, six inches underground and then they pack mud around it and create a, an opening just large enough for monkeys to stick their hand in But once they grab the gourd, they can't pull it back out. And apparently the monkeys want the gourd so badly they'll hold on to it until they die, until they're caught. 
That's the way the devil often tempts us with different sins in our life. He, he puts something in front of us that, that we think we want so badly and we're willing to give up all the other things and confess them before God and repent of those, but there's certain ones that we really like, that we really want to hold on to. And we forget about the potential spiritual death that can come along with that, of holding on to that stupid gourd of the sins of this world. You and I have been blessed with the grace of God. And St. Paul's point is now that we've been baptized into this death of Christ and we know what it means for us, we should no longer go back and live our lives in service to sin. Jesus Christ has come into this world to free you and me from our sins, not to give you freedom to go back and live in it. Our relationship to sin is now one of a struggle. It doesn't mean we don't have it anymore in our lives. It doesn't mean it's gone. In fact, sometimes, now that you're a Christian and the more you understand God's grace, it intensifies our knowledge of sin even more in our lives. It makes us even more aware of it. But if there's no struggle there with sin, then that's a dangerous spot for us. In Christ, in, by faith in him, in the believer, sin has lost its power and dominion over us. That doesn't mean it's gone, but it means that it no longer rules us in this sense, that though we may fall, and we will, we're weak, we're sinful, though we may fall, we come back to God through our baptism, actually, in repentance, asking him to forgive us again. And there reapply that wonderful grace that we received in our baptism. And in this way, you use your baptism. Every time, every time that you recognize the guilt in your life and you bring it before God in repentance and ask him to forgive your sins again for Jesus' sake, it's like getting baptized again with the word of God every time that takes place. So, don't wait. Today's the day in your life to let go of the gourd. God wants you to live in this grace of Christ. And the heart of faith continues to stay in your baptism through the gift of repentance. In just a moment, we're going to be singing a final verse in one of our hymns. And it says it so beautifully well from Thomas Kingo. Grant us to grow in grace each day by holy baptism that we may eternal life inherit. Blessed are you in that sacred water. Amen. Please rise and join me in a prayer Colic number 38, you will find that on page 152, page 152 in the front part of your hymn book. Colic number 38. And let us join our hearts and voices. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you manifested yourself with the Holy Spirit in the fullness of grace at the baptism of your dear Son and with your voice directed us to him who has borne our sins, that we might receive grace and the remission of sins. Keep us, we beseech you, in the true faith, and inasmuch as we have been baptized in accordance with your command, in the example of your dear Son, we pray you to strengthen our faith by your Holy Spirit, and lead us to everlasting life and salvation. Through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. And now may the triune God of your baptism, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Go in his peace. Amen.